from foreignpolicy.com. Quote, it's easy to imagine that a second civil war might proceed like the first. Two institutionalized factions wielding state militaries against each other along prescribed strategic fronts. Generals would choose a side. Those with the most troops and firepower at their disposal would claim victory. The outcome, we imagine, would likely be a winner-take-all restructuring of the United States. But that's not really how wars are fought in the 21st century. Indeed, much of the last century was about deconstructing the habits of large-scale, state-driven conventional warfare. As networks distribute power to the edges, warfighting shifts further away from a handful of monolithic forces and towards a diverse web of small actors. Warfare now often proceeds from ideologically and economically marginalized communities whose suffering and fear is wielded by cunning global actors. They become guerrillas, rebel factions, proxies, and insurgencies. Sometimes they look more like tribal conflicts composed along racial, religious, familial, and economic lines, often on top of resource crises that push violence to become a necessary solution. But they are rarely simply two-sided conflicts, end quote. This time, we continue our Bones of Tyranny discussion by exploring the concept of the standalone complex and why fires of civil unrest and the breakdown of public confidence is exactly where tyranny is born and martial law is enacted. Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influenced the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. Welcome back, theoryologists. We were right, and now everyone is talking about it. Martial law is a household phrase. The world is at odds. Countries around the globe are experiencing social demonstration and unrest in response to draconian lockdown requirements. China is beating the drums of war along the Taiwanese border and committing genocide against the Chinese Muslim population. Someone just assassinated an Iranian nuclear scientist, and it is without doubt a political assassination that will absolutely destabilize portions of the Middle East. Germany just passed a totalitarian law under the premise of pandemic control. The UK is seeing the police force turned against the citizens. And Australia has so radically locked down their population that I don't even see them in the news anymore. In a spotlight at the center of it all, the U.S. is in the middle of a heavily contentious, highly scrutinized, very suspect presidential election and transition. Fraught with controversy, evidence of fraud, legal disputes, and an irreparably divided America populace. 
the world has been holding its breath and picking sides as this political theater has played out. Now, for Americans, civil war is knocking. Though I, I don't know if anyone knows what that looks like in a 21st century setting. In fact, it may have already begun. A call has been made to execute Directive 51, which we mentioned in the previous episode, for President Trump to enact martial law to maintain the presidency. Meanwhile, the far left in the U.S. has called for McCarthy-style tracking lists to be made, comprised of all those that supported Donald Trump, and a call for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to be formed once he is out of office, which is a misleading term for a Nuremberg-style war crime trials for everyone that supported, uh, served on, or spoke too highly of the Trump administration. Clearly, both sides have no pretense of unity in mind, regardless of what cooler heads may wish, and this list barely scratches the surface. Oh, <laughs> and we've been promised a dark winter, which should probably be an episode of its own. Suffice to say, the threat of societal breakdown to which continuity contingency plans would be applied and martial law implemented is closer than it has been in a long time. The conversation has become more important and prescient than even I envisioned. But first, where the heck have I been? If this is so important a discussion, where have I been and why didn't I have this episode out earlier? Well, <laughs> the answer is that this episode didn't originally exist. After our discussion of operational continuity, the intent was to move directly into a historical look at the conspiracy theory of FEMA death camps and the real application of confinement and internment under the new continuity plans. That was the plan. By this point, we were supposed to be well past the discussion of tyranny, and we were going to have a much more uplifting selection of topics in December. I had a show plan. <laughs> but then the U.S. presidential election approached. While most of the episodes of this show are of a more historical perspective, used to give us tools to explore current ideas, this series was born in current events and controversy. While many of the podcasts out there were thankfully having been able to produce shows regularly and provide topics that have nothing to do with the looming threat of societal collapse, a conspiracy theory podcast like mine would be pretty much useless if it did not address the topic of tyranny in the context of a major political transition like a presidential election. To just finish out the series in an academic perspective and ignore the need to reference the fact um, that and, and the reality of what's going on or that you would be listening to this with, with a new presidential administration that was in power when recorded, um, then was in power, well, it would make the show irrelevant, in my opinion. So, I decided to pause, observe, evaluate, and incorporate current events in this series. In that time, well, three things happened that codified the topic of this episode. First, I had an email exchange with some folks that brought to light the normalcy bias that binds people to 
their existing expectation and blinds them to possibilities and reinforces the erroneous belief that tyranny is almost impossible an outcome in the U.S. because it's the product of some well-run and, and competently malicious government that must circumvent the legal protections well-guarded in the U.S. anyway by the justice system up through to the Supreme Court. And, and this is known as a normalcy bias. Next, while I saw this unchained melody of disparate collapses in social order occurring in regard to election integrity, I was at a loss for the terminology that could define it. That is, until discovering, thanks to a recommendation by a fellow podcaster, discovering the TimCast podcast and the host, Tim Poole, used the term standalone complex. Now, when he did, I knew exactly what he was referring to and knew that it was precisely what was happening. And I'll get into that more later. And finally, as mentioned in the introduction, I found an article which provided a new perspective on 21st century warfare, which can put the current U.S. election controversy in new light and provide some context for this new concept of a standalone complex contrasted to historical events that we know and understand. And there you have it, a misconception born of public mindset, a concept through which we can explore a better approach, and an analogous example by which we can introduce the concept from a different direction. Everything we need for an episode of Conspiracy Theoryology. Now that you have some behind the scenes of how the sausage is made and an explanation of why this episode was delayed, I still won't blame you for just telling me that I was slacking and, and the delay is unforgivable. I, I'm pretty unforgiving myself when my favorite podcasts uh, don't release on schedule. But, you know, I'm no Joe Rogan and I don't have a hundred million bucks on the line driving my production schedule. Of course, that said, if any of you want to offer a lucrative sponsorship deal with production terms, please email me at contact at conspiracytheoryology.com. Wink, wink. So let's, since it's been so long, let's do a, a quick review of the continuity of government episode that kicked off our Bones of Tyranny series. And if you haven't listened to it, I recommend going back. It was released in October. Yes, it's long but it's informative and it's detailed. We can sum this up for those of you that, that listen to it and just need a refresher. So let's pull the, the, the key points that we, we summarized. One, the continuity uh, of government operations as we know it today in the U.S. was born out of the Cold War during the Eisenhower administration. And I suspect this is the case with many free and democratic states around the globe that the Cold War shaped our current geopolitical climate heavily. Before this, the second point is that continuity plans and discretion in declaring martial law was largely held by individual states in the U.S. Next, with an emergency response infrastructure in place, other events such as natural disasters and the threat of pandemic were folded into the scope of response. Fourth, the events of 9-11, however controlled or manipulated they may or may not have been, expanded 
the uh, continuity of government contingencies and turned focus toward terrorist threat, creating a all-hazards system, a unified, cohesive response throughout all 50 states, and the federal government became the goal. While not expressly stated, this did certainly involve coordination with allied foreign governments and international entities. Finally, just realizing that that is the turning point. The 2006 expansion of Homeland Security power and the creation of U.S. NORTHCOM. Emergency response became federally militarized and fully centralized. The key takeaway, this changed everything. And we have to emphasize that the key to martial law is the breakdown of civil order or structure. So here's the question. Does that breakdown have to be coordinated? Does the conspiracy have to be so widespread and complicit in effort that it becomes untenable and improbable? This is how we will approach this discussion. And of course, the answer is no. What can happen effectively is what is known as a standalone complex. In fact, it's a more plausible explanation. And we will define it a bit later. Now, I have revised this approach and outlined for this episode a half dozen times because things are moving so fast right now with current events. Ultimately, I did have to just stop somewhere or you'd never actually hear this episode. So remember that this is a snapshot. And by the time you're listening, you may be yelling at your device, your, your car stereo, telling me that I was wrong on this or that detail. And I absolutely realize that. And I definitely want to hear from you on those things. So, as we move into a discussion about standalone complex as a concept, let's, let's first preface this with how our perceptions and expectations for everything going on can lull us into a false sense of dismissal and lack of concern. The realities of the world picture at the moment and what we as theriologists have in our arsenal to better evaluate the situation. It rings true in our minds, yours and mine, that in an intentional, coordinated effort to break down a society from within, such that all the pieces act in one voice in accordance to a complex plan, is just not rationally feasible. Perhaps better to say highly improbable. We're not talking about a coordinated precision events such as an assassination or a bombing or even targeted corporate attack or espionage. We are talking about a full-scale, all-encompassing societal breakdown. The fact is we live in a connected world of immediate information and communication. A singular effort with far too many bad actors involved would inevitably surface well in advance of a successful execution of the plan. I don't mean the sort of pronouncements that are typical of all sides during something like an election. Accusations of this candidate or that candidate, quote, trying to steal the election or subvert or disenfranchise voters and voter participation. I mean the sort of coordinated effort that requires intentional, coordinated collusion across the country in every state and political county or precinct here in the U.S. This sort of thing just doesn't happen. It just doesn't. As I said, 
this is a normalcy bias we all have. If, if you haven't heard the term, normalcy bias is a psychological state of denial. People enter in the event of a disaster, as a result of which they underestimate the possibility of the disaster actually happening and its effect on their life and, and things like property. Their denial is based on the assumption that if the event or disaster has not occurred until now, it'll never occur. <laughs> Think of an extreme example like the vol a volcano, uh, for which a dormant volcano has erupted in modern memory, or perhaps even recorded history. If an eruption were to start, many people would dismiss the possibility and assume everything would be fine until, of course, it isn't. It's a good and a bad thing, actually. It keeps us from taking irrational action based on incomplete information that contradicts everything we know to be true. At the same time, because we uh, oftentimes will not take action, <laughs> it can be too late once we recognize the reality of the situation. The reality, I fear, may be quite different. And remember, we are focused on this idea of the bones of tyranny, right? What I've labeled as this designed infrastructure, a, a skeleton on which to build an effort to circumvent the protections of constitutional liberties and freedoms. As we learned in our exploration of operational continuity, the implementation of martial law under this contingency framework requires the exact opposite of an extremely competent government. Competency and functionality of government doesn't merit martial law. In actuality, breakdown, incompetence, and a lack of public confidence does a takeover make. So let's, I tried to list some key points that, that would, would drive this home. And, and the first point is the system is breaking down. It was already broken here in the U.S., let's be honest, but deterioration has now progressed to the point of being noticeable. Additionally, the response structure, as we said as we earlier when, when we reviewed, unlike any other time in U.S. history, is fully federalized. It's fully centralized, and it's militarized. Politically, the divide has created two distinct realities that have not been as pronounced since perhaps, say, the 1850s, leading up to the American Civil War. And this divide is noticeable and recognizable. Socially, the public is fractured into shards of disparate and insoluble beliefs. There are divides on race, philosophies and belief systems, legal civil and social structure and requirements. Think of concepts like defund the police versus back the blue. Education, family, gender issues, environment, economics and welfare, dot, 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 etc., etc. Pick your poison. The melting pot is gone. It's now some jello mold of conflicting ingredients like strawberries and mushrooms, su suspended and separated only aware of each other from the safe distance of the gelatin keeping them apart. <laughs> Forget that analogy, just I digress. What, what I'm saying is that we have a new level 
of cultural sectionalism existing in the U.S., and it seems in other countries as well. People are drawing lines in the sand with little room for flexibility and forgiveness. We are trending toward a new civil war within the United States, assuming it hasn't already begun. Unlike previous periods in history, the response when this occurs, as this breakdown happens, this this systemic breakdown of civil order, it doesn't lie with the states. Yes, it, it can certainly, but if a state uh, can actually function to such a level that a coordinated response from a governor and a legislative body can be executed, then the breakdown is not systemic in that case. We are talking about collapse. When society, uh, when conflict, uh, when uh, a lack of confidence by the public does not allow for that, that political and civil infrastructure to operate. Now, as we get into things, I wanted to do a, a reminder here that this podcast had, has explored lots of concepts in the past. And these are, as I've said many times in, in these episodes when I, I realized that, that they're foundational. They're, they're meant for us to have these better tools. So, so just some examples. We, we covered Jade Helm and psychological operations to understand um, that, that they're used to, to grasp and understand and predict public response. When we uh, talked uh, Flat Earth, we discussed core beliefs and the hard-to-change uh, uh, nature of paradigms. Then we've talked not too long ago on masks and social control theory and that power of informal social controls that society can put on without even the need for, for a more structured uh, uh, legal framework. We explored scarcity and the scarcity principle when in regards to peak oil way back. Now we see it with this vaccine release. We've explored the idea of narrative identity and our inclination to develop a linear story with events and experiences. In contrast, we've also explored synchronicity and understand that there is some order to seemingly random coincidence. We've even explored this false idea of extraordinary claims and the baseless moving target of a demand for extraordinary evidence. As I said, these are foundational concepts meant to give us tools to better evaluate events in the future. And we're going to be using these now in rapid succession. Uh, if, you, if you aren't familiar with all those past episodes, definitely go back and, and give them a listen and understand that, that you're, you're coming away with tools that can help us better evaluate uh, these situations when we're exploring current events. And perhaps even looking back on, on historical events and uh, well-ingrained ideas from a new perspective and a new idea. So let's finally get into this. You know, let's actually introduce our topic, this, this concept of standalone complex. I, I believe we've prefaced this discussion enough, and I'm, I'm sure you're ready to actually get to the topic. I mean, 
how exactly is the idea of a standalone complex applied to everything going on in the world? I mean, this is a conspiracy show. Surely I'm not saying that there is no conspiracy and it's all just random events. No, I'm not. There is certainly conspiracy and opportunism in play uh, with power grabs and fortunes to be made in the chaos. What is evident, though, is that the chaos exists. And it's precisely the lack of order that should have us concerned. So let's pause here, and when we get back, we can finally tackle this in an organized and concise manner. Let me start with this explosive statement. Civil war is coming. As I mentioned in the introduction, I referenced a, a foreignpolicy.com article uh, that actually discusses the, the idea of what a new U.S. civil war might look like. Uh, it followed a poll that uh, the, uh, the Foreign Policy's Best Defense blog had opened up asking about the likelihood uh, and and polling um, security experts and defense experts in this time frame. And they, they actually came up to close to 30% of an expectation, even all the way up to expectations of like 90% by some. But, a, you know, an average 30% is still much better odds than I think most of us would like to consider. And as, as again, as, as you heard in the intro, it's easy to imagine that, that a civil war, when we hear the term, we think of the civil war from the uh, 1860s and, and how that operated. We, we picture this, this idea of probably two institutionalized factions and they have defined militaries, uh, uniforms, uh, they've got generals that would choose sides, uh, and and uh, captains and and uh, majors and, and privates, and you'd have this this defined military structure on both sides, and they would uh, meet up and wage war. Uh, and of course, we we've seen war in the modern era that is very similar to that. We see troops that that approach, move forward, and an attack. Now, of course, the use of asymmetrical warfare has been uh, more prevalent uh, in, in modern day. When you think of, of the Middle Eastern wars of the U.S. And, and other conflicts, you generally have an overpowering side that, um, that it, it moves into an area, and, and it's, not even, it's not even comparable. But regardless... That's not how wars are fought in the 21st century. And you, you, have, to, you have to break down and, and get away from this, this idea of large-scale conventional warfare. Uh, these, as I said, we're a connected society. And it, you shift away because of that from this, this idea of coalesced monolithic forces. 
And instead, you can function as this diverse group of, of small contingents, you know, small actors is the term used in the article. Um, and, it, and it can proceed from things other than simply geographical boundaries and borders um, or politically defined uh, geopolitical boundaries and borders and can, can proceed from ideological and economic uh, ideas and communities and beliefs, perspectives. This is where you get small groups of, of guerrilla warfare, rebel factions, um, insurgencies. We've heard these terms used in the modern day, and, and this is how it would execute uh, in, to the point that it would look tribal. Uh, that, that whole idea of, of the U.S. Civil War when they would talk about brother against brother, <laughs> but there were still these state lines that had had drawn allegiances, and if you wanted to to main choose a specific allegiance, you would actually cross those lines. That's that's almost gone. You've got these tribal conflicts that would occur in the streets, in individual town, in individual communities, because they're composed along racial lines, religious lines, family lines, um, and and to neglect this this risk is is missing. Um, these signs is is effectively what uh, is what happens if we keep thinking in terms of just opposing armies. We don't recognize and we don't develop the strategies uh, for recognizing and addressing this hybrid warfare. Let me read another quote from this article: For the United States, uh, the shape of future homeland conflicts will be asymmetrical, distributed, and heterogeneous. A contemporary homeland conflict would likely self-compose with numerous dynamic factions organized by digital tools around ideological and affinity networks. It would likely be a patchwork of affiliated insurgency groups and their counterparts engaging in light skirmishes along the overlapping edges of their networks mixed with occasional high-value terror attacks against soft and hard targets. Such groups are much smaller than conventional militaries, and where they lack in firepower, they wield transgression. End quote. Now, <laughs> I, I'm sure immediately, uh, for those of y'all listening in the U.S., and even those abroad, um, you are thinking of current conflicts in, in the U.S., we have um, protests occurring, uh, marches and protests with against the lockdowns, uh, against masking. We've got this ideological line between maskers and anti-maskers. We have uh, the Antifa uh, movement occurring, BLM occurring. We've got breakdowns in the streets of, of Portland and Seattle where... Uh, these these communities are being overrun and developing this strange uh, autonomous zone, right? The the Chaz, yeah, and trying to function outside of of uh, the state, effectively a little seceded autonomous region, um, and and clearly an article like this uh, would 
would inevitably come, a discussion like this would, would have inevitably come out of these events occurring. But what's interesting here is that this article was written back in 2017. And that's really what caught my eye. And, and I didn't say that before uh, because I wanted you to realize that you could easily transplant this discussion uh, from this article in 2017 and put it immediately into modern day. Likewise, I found similar discussions from 2014. And perhaps if I looked, I could find them going back even farther. This is not a new idea. And I'm certainly not the first person to be talking about the, the potential for an upcoming civil breakdown. So let's talk about the standalone complex. I've mentioned it several times, and I haven't defined it. And that's because I didn't want to just throw out a definition as we walk through. It, it sounds pretty self-explanatory when you think about it, right? A standalone complex in reference to a, a in reference to something contrasting a conspiracy and a coordinated uh, subversive effort. Uh, obviously, we're talking about just independent, separate activities, right? Well, there is a, a good discussion about this that I found. It, really, it, the, the dictionary definition, as it were, is that a standard loan complex is accidental collectivism, uh, which contains detached individuals, but resembling a very arranged conspiracy, though lacking a deliberate origin. Um, this phenomenon where uh, behavior by unconnected people produces a concentrated effort, and it's copied from previous sources without an original. Uh, in a nutshell, standalone complex is several copies of a behavior or item or view or perspective. And when I say that it is without an original, what I mean is that there's not a, a, a true origin point. There's not a directive to move these out. These are just copies of actions. What's interesting about this, this idea of a, a group, and this I pulled from... Uh, a site called, uh, I'm going to call it eonsimia.blogspot.com, if I pronounce that wrong. But it's it's a, a blog posting from 2008, and it discusses standalone complex. Now, the reason I recognized the term when I heard it on uh, the TimCast podcast is because it comes from, actually, it's, it's the title and its terminology that was used in a very popular Japanese anime series uh, called Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex. Ghost in the Shell was a very popular anime um, movie. Uh, Standalone Complex was a, a follow-up series. And while originally probably intended to, to refer to this idea of some sort of emergent social behavior that was theorized and presented in the show, it's come to mean this, this new term. I really liked the definition that was provided here on this um, this much to do about nothing blog on Eonsemia, uh, and I do have the link in the show notes. But let's let's read that, and it's it's says what's 
interesting about this so-called group is whether or not it actually exists in what we would commonly consider to be group or whether it is an example of an, an emergence, emergent social behavior such as the one theorized about in the Ghost in the Shell anime series Standalone Complex. The Standalone Complex is a phenomenon where unrelated individuals act in a similar manner which creates an appearance of a concerted effort, as in someone mentions something or does something that attracts the attention of others. Without communicating specifically with each other, they each act in a manner consistent with that of the original suggestion or action. This creates the appearance of a concerted effort even though the individuals are unrelated. Key, there is no leader as such and no overall plan. Now, they talk about it in, in reference to the anonymous movement, and that's a great example. Uh, you can check out the blog, read more. It's, it's very much in detail, but you have the idea. I've, I've repeated myself a few times because it's just a, a very simple concept meant to encapsulate, I should say it's a simple definition meant to encapsulate a very broad concept to try and understand diverse set of events and experiences that are occurring. And when you think of what we just discussed with this idea of modern warfare in the 21st century, a civil war in the 21st century being a collection of, of disparate groups drawn along different ideologies, different beliefs, uh, different identities, and waging these wars. And we look at what is occurring now in the U.S. Well, we are in the middle of a standalone complex. These things aren't taking specific orders from one point. This isn't one idea. It's, it's happening. It's building. It was already broken. It's just reached the point that this breakdown, this decomposition is noticeable is visible and it can't be ignored. It's not isolated to a specific city, a specific region. Um, it is it is widespread. We can also take this concept that we've we've covered and look at the US presidential election. And this is why the the episode is is <laughs> as kind of raw and unstructured as it is because I was, and I know we've all been wanting this to to wrap up uh, for something decisive, whichever side you are on in in this election, however you wanted the outcome to play out, the outcome is not done, um, and and it hasn't gotten done right. The 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 the, um, the election was not uh, called and and clean the night of the general election, um, and and it hasn't had some sort of breakthrough uh, decisive argument against the outcome of the general election through through uh, litigation or claims or, or evidence of, of the like. While there's been plenty of, of information and new things brought to light that are probably new for many voters uh, about the condition of our uh, election system, uh, or I should say election systems, because they all function independently at a state level. Um, something that that most 
don't understand is that there's this five-step process. The election was not just a general election held in November. That's step one. It's the popular uh, vote. And from that point moves on to a confirmation uh, of that of that election by each of the states, which then determines the electoral college decision. And then they pack up and they head to D.C. They make their votes, which is then con- itself uh, confirmed uh, by uh, or certified, I should say, by by delegates within uh, Congress, and only then with the with the congressional certification is is the election done, and that doesn't occur until January sixth. So that's why all of this stuff is in play. That's why I've been sitting down hoping that something would occur that would kind of finalize this and allow us to to have this discussion in a fully encompassed kind of fully closed out narrative uh, that would make this discussion a bit more evergreen and a bit applicable. But of course, we're going to be talking about, and I'm going to try to do that anyway, uh, because we're talking about this broader concept. But understanding that, you know, at this point of recording, I just found out that the uh, Texas lawsuit was shot down by the Supreme Court, that it will not, uh, it will not be heard on the basis of a lack of standing by the state of Texas. So there you go. So that gives you a framework for when, uh, when this was, was recorded. So at this point, really, um, there's not much left other than there's lots of outstanding litigation that's out there and working through the system. Uh, but basically we've got a little under a month for all of this to play out and get to certification by January 6th. Um, the only thing that could happen at this point really to to change that, that the outcome is that you can have, because of all of this stuff, you can have uh, Congress essentially, what's the word? Pro, I'm not going to say protest, but call into question uh, the validity of a particular electoral college count and all that stuff. The, the same things that, that some of these cases have been doing that that can still happen. And if it can happen at such an uh, an impactful amount that there is no clear electoral college vote majority for either candidate, then uh, the uh, the delegates, there's a state delegate vote. And each state gets one vote. It's in the Senate. And at that point, then the... Uh, you know, the outcome is going to be Donald Trump. If if it doesn't make a difference, even if they question one or two states and those those come into play or get taken out of it, uh, then the numbers game right now is still that uh, uh, Joe Biden holds the majority and that he would then win the election. So there's still a lot at play. I can't I can't wrap this all up into a ball and or into a you know wrap it up for Christmas and put a bow on it and say it's all done. Uh, so anyway, I, I wanted to cover that because that's been the frustrating thing in doing this. And one of the frustrating things with addressing current events, because, well, I'm not a, I'm not a current, current events news show. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm not putting out uh, episodes on a frequent daily or 
bi-weekly basis or something like that that would keep things current. But but it is important to discuss these these uh, these events because you know in the grand scheme of things there is historical reference that can help us to better evaluate and understand the situation and see where all of this stuff is leading. So let's look at the U.S. election in this framework of what we've talked about with the standalone com- complex and 21st century warfare, right? Which which is just just that. What they're saying is that 21st century warfare is a standalone complex. Um, well, I think the first thing to remember is there are no generals, right? The this idea of teams is is a construct and they've given him that right it said that there's this imaginary fictional uh origin that that doesn't actually exist and in the, this case in the US and it's easy to see is this idea of red versus blue you know, if you look at any uh electoral outcome map that that's been made um it's <laughs> you just see red or blue states and it makes it very easy to say, oh, well, look, there's there's all of the red states that are pro-Trump. There's all of the blue states that are pro-Biden. And that's how this election played out. And so, you know, if there was any um, questionable activity, obviously, in the blue states, it was because they wanted to favor blue. and the red states, they favor red. And then it's red and blue. It's spy versus spy. <laughs> and then... And that's not the reality. Um, we have some other issues that have gone on. When you look at these events, let's talk about the uh, purported voter fraud, counting irregularities, uh, the, the these uh, claims and accusations that have been made. In many cases, the evidence put forward, videos and such activities that are going on, these are from the perspective of a a standalone complex, these are individuals acting in accordance to an ideology, an expectation, a fear, and a goal. And this has been worked just as this article about 21st century warfare was, was written in 2017. As far back as 2017, there were groups that were on the left in, in the Democrat party camp, that were already anticipating the next election because the 2016 election had not gone in their favor and were anticipating uh, that there would be more voter fraud. Remember, there was this based on this idea of Russian collusion, which has since been proven false, but there was that expectation that was there uh, that they they effectively uh, stole the presidency for Trump and that would happen again in 2020. And so there was an active movement to prepare um, these these voting uh, precincts and, and these voting boards for those eventualities to the point that everybody was suspect. There was no specific direction given. There was no specific action, specific plan. It was not coordinated such that this group is going to do this. You're going to do that. No, no, you had individuals out there saying, I need to get these votes in. Or 
I need, we're going to count these because, uh, for a specific person, because we don't, we don't, um, trust that this election is on the up and up. You had suspects on both sides, right? You had, you had observers that were being, um, prevented from, uh, clear observation in some areas. You had others that may have been just highly suspect and, and causing issues. Likewise, you had poll workers and voters and, and everybody in acting based on their own expectations, based on something that they had heard. <laughs> it, as it says, uh, this phenomenon of unrelated individuals acting in a similar manner that creates the appearance of a concerted effort. You had this breakdown in the election system because of all of these divided concepts that we talked about. Racial, ideological, uh, civil, economic, social, uh, boom, 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 lay that down. You this, this breakdown that has occurred has led to independent autonomous events that occurred all over the place. And it's not hard to see that if you're operating in an election setting, there's a few things that if you think I need to make sure that this election um, is done in our favor, whichever our you are, and I'm using air quotes there, whichever team you are, this has to go in my team's favor. Of course, people are going to be pushed to the edge one way or another, whether that is, is, uh, paying for votes or ballot stuffing or collecting um, votes from uninformed voters that would not otherwise have participated but can do so, you know, are definitely uh, at liberty to do so. Um, to the more nefarious, full on uh, fake votes or, or artificial votes or tampering with equipment or any of that other stuff that has come up. Those are all possibilities that individuals or small groups executing small-scale uh, conspiracy in in a reasonable, you know, in, in a fashion that you can reasonably believe. Two or three individuals, uh, a small team, a single precinct, a single county, uh, a single district, those sort of things occur. But if they occur everywhere, and they have occurred, there is plenty of of history and research on voting anomalies and voter fraud, not just with this election, but throughout. In fact, Trump, after in 2017, after his election, um, formed a committee specifically to address voter fraud because it was such an issue. And it was an issue, as we know all back in 2000, it has been an issue even before then. Um, at not just federal levels of election, but local and and state levels. It's there's a history that goes way back. I didn't want to make this a history lesson on uh, voter fraud and um, election tampering, but those sort of things happen. But what this election has led to is even more interesting, right? This this collection of of protests. You do have a divide. There are times when you can look at it and say, well, look, we've got a nearly 50-50 split of 70 plus 
million voters versus 70 plus million voters that chose one or the other because there was one or the other on the ballot and some other options, third party and such. But um, with the way the election is structured, ultimately you're going to identify this by states. You're going to have media outlets that call states because it has become a regular practice to do this during the general election. And historically, once they have done this, most of the times it is not contested enough to to be a problem, to just simply reference that, uh, that poll tracking as accurate. Even in 2000, the target was a single specific state with Florida. And everybody remembers that, I shouldn't say everybody, many remember the hanging chads. But again, that was narrowed down. This, this particular election, because it spanned, the accusations begin to uh, span through multiple states. There are dozens and dozens of independent cases and court filings uh, and calls for, uh, you know, action calls for uh, um, a rescind, rescinding of certifications and all of these nature. These is individuals acting on this based on events they have they have seen or heard causes that they have heard and previous action even at the scale of a full state texas acting on submitting a um is submitting a filing to take to the supreme court against four states and then successive um action by other states to either support uh, the plaintiff or to support the defendant. Um, and that quickly grew. That quickly grew to a full-on out, let's draw lines in the country and go ahead and just call a spade a spade and say we're going to civil war. It will remain to be seen what happens is with the fallout of this Supreme Court decision to not hear it. Um, but ultimately, the judicial system has just turned a deaf ear on 74 million voters that now feel disenfranchised and see uh, this as further proof of a coordinated attack on their personal ideology. Um, so whatever that particular ideology is, um, that's, that's, that's huge. Uh, you, you know, you want to talk about a paradigm shift on there then that's, that's the situation we're dealing with here. Uh, even to the point, just to, just right on the nose, a group out of Ohio has asked the, or I should say, as presented as a request that the president, um, that President Trump uh, exercise his, his uh, Directive 51 and implement martial law in order to redo and fix the election. Now, it's a single group. It's not a, uh, a reflection, I think, on the opinions of, of the general population. And it certainly is is not reflecting an understanding of what martial law means at this point, as we have a better understanding since we explored it last episode. Currently, the the U.S. election and this line that's been drawn in the sand of red versus blue artificially 
is a perfect example of a standalone complex. It's not a grand conspiracy. Are there conspiratorial aspects? Yes. Potential, right? The, the, the poorly executed um, filing on the potential for Dominion voting, uh, voting machine fraud, uh, or a concerted effort by whole state secretaries of state that uh, issue instructions and violate their state uh, constitutions in order to ensure a particular outcome of an election. These are conspiracies by the very definition, but uh, they don't sound like the the grand uh, globalist attack on, on breaking down of America. Uh, that's, that's not what these are. These are not um, soldiers of a greater globalist agenda, at least not intentionally. They are, they are individuals acting in accordance to their beliefs and ideologies. Uh, and, and unfortunately, many are choosing to act, have chosen to act in what is, in reality, an illegal manner um, for a perceived greater good or noble cause. But that's, that's the election. And I... I originally tried to break it down and have us look at all of the original events, um, you know, from a state-by-state basis and walking through this election in a timeline. Again, I was just trying to observe and follow along. But but because it's it's not complete, um, the best we could do is just get to a here we are at this point. And that's not really the, the key to the discussion. Understanding standalone complex as a, a currently uh, applicable concept in our in in this 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 infrastructure of tyranny does not require us to to rehash the election those of you that that are interested in it in in the politics you've done so already and those that are not interested in in presidential politics don't want to cover it right now just understand more importantly why this all matters understanding these concepts and let's let's list them again we have the idea of a standalone complex in which unrelated individuals act in a manner that creates an appearance of a concerted effort a coordinated conspiratorial effort we have this concept of this new perspective of 21st century warfare in which conventional, state-driven, large-scale warfare is out the window. And instead, it's this, this uh, disparate makeup of ideologically separated communities and, and, and individuals that operate with what we would refer to as guerrilla tactics, operate with rebel factions, have proxy wars and insurgencies. And that this this warfare would look much more tribal in its composition, and it can be drawn along a multitude of lines that uh, that from racial and ec- economic to religious lines, uh, po- even political ideological lines, but certainly less with the geopolitical boundaries of of borders and um, and 
land, this breaks our normalcy bias. We need to quit trying to find the monolithic enemy. This sort of conflict, whether it's the election or uh, understanding of the, the beginnings of, of civil unrest and civil war um, as a hybridized warfare, it, it's not coordinated and it's not organized. It cannot be ended through a singular victory. In fact, what's important is understanding that to win it, the system needs to entirely break down. And this is where we come full circle to our first episode. The, the discussion of operational continuity gave us an understanding of what the current framework is to, to enact aspects of martial law, to break down the current constitutional activity uh, and protections of a populace and to provide a centralized and militarized control uh, to essentially rebuild or restructure government, that it is built on uh, a response. NORTHCOM was designed to respond to terrorism, to respond to uh, to civil collapse, whether it be through natural disasters, pandemic responses, or coordinated efforts of, of bioterrorism or, or even more conventional terrorism uh, attacks. Uh, these things uh, are independent, separate events, especially when we're talking about pandemic and we're talking about... Uh, this this tribal conflict of a modern civil war that tribal conflict depending on which side you're on is going to be viewed as terrorism the infrastructure in place will respond to that and you know what it does not matter which president is in office as we have seen these breakdowns do not necessarily get addressed by the the justice system. The judicial system is not equipped to handle this sort of wide-scale uh, operation. In fact, with current actions, we are going to see a loss of confidence in the judicial system. We have a loss of confidence in state governments, in local governments, because of this election. And there is now a tremendous loss of confidence in the federal government because we either have a uh, president that if the if as an incumbent if he stays in office will be viewed as having stolen the election because now the only outcome is a um, non-elected congressional delegate election in which Donald Trump will stay in office or we will have the the assumption of power by a new administration led by Joe Biden, who is now under investigation for potentially being compromised by a foreign power. So I don't see how either of these options are going to end well in public perception. Remember, U.S. NORTHCOM and the actions that take place in these contingencies are not necessarily directed through congressional decision or or direction or presidential 
direction. No, the uh, ability to implement these these contingencies is dependent upon the observation uh, and the decision of the commander of U.S. NORTHCOM, in which case an observation of, of enough social, true social unrest, and I don't mean the, the sort of, of protests and, and rallies and, and public displays that uh, even to the scale that we have had that, that typically are handled by state governments uh, and National Guard units, but all out full collapse. What happens when a group comes in and it's not just a section of a city, but rather a city hall? Um, what if it is a state capital? What happens when the numbers of people get to the point that there is an entire collapse of a system, meaning that it cannot operate in its intended form? And it happens across enough states and enough swath of the country that you cannot address it through localized means. That is when operational continuity contingency planning comes into play. And depending on who's in power, that's the opportunity for tyranny to take hold. Now again, am I saying that that all of this is going to happen? Is that the intent of this bones of tyranny discussion to occur just to 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 uh add to the the pot of 2020 as a chaos and say it's inevitable no but we are headed towards if we are not already in a form of civil war civil conflict that is new to the population and not recognizable uh, by many uh, and we are seeing it going to be executed in a fashion that is not centralized and is not coordinated and cannot be easily quelled. That's that's really the gist of all this. And that's where this episode came into play. And then again, I know that it's not as, as clean and well-structured as many of our episodes. And I hope you were able to follow along. Um, I hope that I was able to follow along. If if there is any gaps in there, if if you if you have a questioning look on your face, the fault lies with me in trying to put this together. There was so much to cover that I just left off because I didn't want to keep you here that much longer. But um, you know, ultimately, this 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 is a discussion that needed to be had, and I. Uh, and and it is being it is being discussed by many, but uh, one of the aspects is that these these discussions are being controlled. I didn't even want to get into the the current uh, attitudes and activities by uh, the large mainstream media, by the current social media uh, companies and tech giants, and the quelling of information that is beginning to occur and that has already occurred uh, that's that's a whole different discussion um, and is is not as applicable but understand this new idea this new concept and realize that you have the tools in place based on our previous episodes uh, to evaluate what is going on in a better light 
uh, and in a better perspective. Uh, and if that is the case, perhaps, perhaps we can address this, this current situation that we are seeing in the U.S. and I would say on a global scale as well. Perhaps we can, can tackle it in a more sensible and metered way. Okay, that is all I have for today. I really appreciate you sticking with me. If you are still here, you have made it all the way through, and you are a rock star. Thank you so much for waiting between these episodes, if you have been waiting. If you are new to the show, uh, please remember to hit that follow or the subscribe button so that you don't miss future discussions. If there's any questions with what we talked about this episode or in the past, email me, contact at conspiracytheoryology.com. I do have a Facebook group, uh, but again, these sort of discussions are not always going to work well on Facebook. And just remember that you can find me on Twitter at TheoryologyPod. Um, and of course, please, please, please recommend the show to others. These discussions are important, and they're fun, and we want everybody to hear them. And of course, I take it as no higher a compliment than to know that you shared this show with other people. All of the info can be found at the show website, conspiracytheoryology.com. And remember, the music is by Adam Henry Garcia. That awesome intro and the closing music. If you want to hear more, visit adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. So, I will see you again next time. And until then, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology. <laughs>